0: So I have been listening to that song since last September and I will tell you, when it comes on the radio, it's a little bit of a shocker for for me. What I mean is I'll have the radio on and I'll be listening to some songs that are very full and and big and probably overproduced and all of a sudden the song with, with, with little more than a guitar and a voice comes on. And it's like whatever was happening in my body or in my mind just settles. And I listen to that very simple, easy-to-learn melody as it starts to get sung, and I hear words about being content with what I have. Listen to some of those words again. My neighbor's grass is the hit of the street, but that don't mean mine ain't just as green. I've been comparing shiny new toys. It's just the root of the thief of my joy. She knows that there's something about not being content with what you have that steals your joy away from you. Uh, Sophia, our creative arts pastor, and I were talking about this song, and she pointed out this other line that is so good. When you sit back, that's when you notice the Joneses can't even keep up with the Joneses. And it's true. It's true. You know that it's true. I don't even, I don't even have to give you the statistics about debt to prove it to you. you just. You know it. What we do with our things, in fact, I'll say it this way today, what we invest in or maybe what we long to invest in or own or spend our money on has an incredible amount to do with our own mental health, our spiritual health, our relational health, our financial health. Who knew that this idea of what I have, feeling like it's never enough, could have such an effect on your day-to-day joy? In the summer of 2019, The Atlantic ran an article about about how American homes are a lot bigger than they used to be. Um, In 1973, when the Census Bureau started keeping track of home sizes, the median size of a newly built house, this is 1973, was just over 1,500 square feet. Um, My house, by the way, was built in 1968. It's around 1,600 square feet, which means if I was alive and lived in my house in 1968, you would have thought I was living in a mansion at 1,683 square feet. By 2015, it's already up there. The median size of a house was 2,500 square feet. Now here's an interesting thing. Want to have some fun with those numbers? Um, We're one slide ahead, so you can kind of already see this, but over that same time, there was a drop in the average number of people per household. Uh, Families have gotten smaller. People are having less children than they did in the 70s. So in 1973, each newly built house had an average of 507 square feet per resident. Four decades later, it was almost twice as much, 971 square feet per person in your house. Okay, great. So homes have gotten bigger. We've all got more space. Why is that bad? If it makes you happy, and it's not bad, except what they have found, is that homes have not uh, homes have gotten bigger, but Americans are not any more pleased with the extra space. In fact, what they have found is the bigger the size of your home, the less happy you are with the size of your home. The more you feel like it's too small. Now, I won't, I won't go into all the details of this study and how they figured this out, but the reason behind it is this: because as big as your home is, there is always a home that is bigger. Yeah, there may be some initial satisfaction when you first move in, but it's only a matter of time until somebody builds a home that is larger next to yours, or your friend, or your brother, or your sister buys a home that's larger, and before long, that feeling of unfulfillment that made you feel like you needed to upgrade your home to a bigger size, it starts to happen again. Think about that. As nice as your car is, there's always a nicer car. As good as the, the, the school is that your kids go to, there's always a better school. As great as your vacation is, your friend is always going to post pictures of a better vacation to Instagram. And, And I think one of the most challenging things about living in the world that you and I live in and raising kids in the world that you and I raise kids in and being people of faith in the world that we're people of faith in is somehow learning the secret to being content with what you have. Or maybe it's not learning it, maybe it's living it. And right about now, you might be wondering what any of this has to do with Tomorrowland in the series that we've been in, talking about the dreams that God has put in us for what tomorrow might look like. And so far, this series, we've spent five weeks talking about how we identify the dream that God has put in us, consult him on the dream, how we focus on it, how we take risks toward it, faith-led risks, how we believe we don't let every obstacle stop us, so far, We've been very deliberate in talking about your dreams for tomorrow and what we see in the Bible that that every one of us has to do to move forward in those dreams God has put in us. But starting today with the last three weeks of this series, I want to turn a corner and talk about some aspects of tomorrow we've not talked about yet, what your future holds. Today and then the next few weeks, we're gonna talk about three different aspects that are equally as important to the ones we've talked about so far. And the one I wanna talk about with you this morning and the next two weeks will be very different, but the one today has everything to do with what makes you content tomorrow. What is going to bring you contentment? It is great, we're talking about visions and dreams and what we've gotta do to move forward in them, but let me ask you a question. What if you get to tomorrow, whatever that is, whatever dream God has given you, and you find yourself not happy there? What if your dream leads you to a thousand more square feet and you get it and it's still not enough? We're going to talk about why God wants us to be content with what we have today, why that matters to God so much, and as we do, we're also going to get a good amount of of how, how to be content with what we have, and I cannot wait to dive in and show you what the Bible says about those two things, the why and the how of being content with what we have, but first... I want to give you a little bit of an underlying principle that dictates everything we're about to look at together this morning. What I mean is, if you do not understand this one underlying principle, everything that we're going to look at together, in fact, the secret that I hope we unpack, the secret to being content with what you have, it will make no sense without this. The Bible, the ancients who wrote the Bible, they all had this understanding that we do not have in our world today. And this is going to be news to some of you. It is going to be jarring to some of you, but it is my job to tell you. Here's what it is. Brace yourselves. What I have isn't mine. It's God's. Let me say it again, and I'm going to have ushers pass out paper bags in case you're hyperventilating right now. (laughs) What I have is not mine. It is God's. What you have isn't yours. It's God's. I didn't make that up, I'm not that smart. Psalm 24:1, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world, and all who live in it, they're God's. And what the ancients believed, and the Bible tells us, the underlying principle that everything in this world, including everything they had, their house, their horse, their food, their money, their boat, whatever they had, belongs to God. Notice that I didn't say it belonged to God first. They they, they didn't believe that it used to belong to God, and now he gave it to them, and it was theirs. No, they believed it was still God's. And if anything, if anything, he was allowing them to hold it, to use it. And no matter how hard they worked to earn something, no matter how many crops they grew, cattle they raised, blankets they sold, even though they earned something, they still believed that what they earned was not theirs. It was God's. And, and, and for you to get what we're gonna talk about today, you've gotta to know the same thing. What you have isn't yours, it's God's. I'm gonna ask you to do something that may make you mad right now. Turn to the person next to you, look them in the eye, and say to them, what you have isn't yours, it's God's. Would you do that? What you have isn't yours. Wow, you guys are game. I'll tell you what, I tried that at the outdoor service. I think one person did it. (laughs) They were all very afraid of each other out there. Okay, the secret to being content with what you have starts right here, realizing what I have is not mine, it is God's. In case you didn't know, now you know. And, And now that you know that, let's talk about why, how we can be content with what we have as we move into Tomorrowland. Where do we start with this? Where, where do you even start talking about this? Philippians 4. Let me show you something that Paul wrote related to this idea of what I have. It's not, it's not quite as catchy as what Kelsey Ballerini sings in that song, but it's pretty good too. I mean, it's been around a few thousand years. In Philippians 4, Paul writes this. For I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. Look at this line. I have learned The secret of being content in any, every situation, whether well fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do. All of this through him who gives me strength. Okay, Paul, who was sitting in prison when he wrote this, by the way, tells us, I am content with what I have. I've been rich and I've been poor. I've been well-fed and I've been hungry. I've been chained up and I've been free. Chained up now, by the way, and I have figured out the secret to being content with what I have. Okay, you ready? Here's the secret. It's in that last line. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Paul says, you wanna know why I can be content with what I have, even when what I have is almost nothing? Because the less you have, the more you know you are living a life relying on God's strength. Let me say that again. The less you have, the more you know the only way you are making it is because of the strength of God put in you. You know what, uh, one of my favorite basketball players used to write that passage on his shoes. I love that he did that, that it's so cool. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Uh, when I was in youth ministry, I used to write this in notes to students, especially if they're going through a hard time. Uh, I can do all things, you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. And, and, and I am happy for people to use it out of context about basketball and youth ministry because it still holds true out of context. All things are all things, but can we talk about it in context for a second? This is written by the Apostle Paul sitting in prison, assuming he is about to be killed for preaching about Jesus. By the way, he eventually is killed for that, spoiler alert. And and, and the context here is financial. As Paul sits in prison, probably not well-fed, certainly not rich anymore, what he's getting at here is, what I have, the little that I have right now, the clothes on my back, what I have, or, or really what I don't have, allows me? to experience God's strength in my life. I do not make it, I do not make it in this world on the strength of my bank account or my square footage. And you can read between the lines here. What I found when I had more, he's saying, was I thought my own strength was what carried me through to tomorrow. When I had a lot, I thought I could get me to tomorrow. But what I learned when I had less was that my financial security was not Real security, my security is in God's strength. Let me say it simpler, part of the secret to being content with what you have is realizing that God's strength is what gets me through today to tomorrow, not the size of my bank account. Not what I have. Now, that is some of the why. Why be content with what I have? Because what I have doesn't give me strength, God does. But a few verses later, Paul gives some more why. Verse 19, and my God will meet all of your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Why can I be content with what I have? Because I don't rely on having more than I have to meet my needs. I rely on God to meet my needs. God supplies all that I need. Now, look at this. This is so counter to the way that we think. This is kind of the way that I think, because I think that I have what I have to meet my needs with it, and my family's needs, and it is it is true. God gave me what he gave me, it's his, it's his. He gave me what he gave me to meet our needs, but I get to thinking, all right, I'm gonna have more needs in the future, and what if what I have today I don't have tomorrow? What if my tomorrow has needs that are even greater than the ones I have today, or, or, or what if tomorrow the what I have that God gives is gonna be less, how will my needs be met? Can, can, can you relate to that kind of thinking a little bit? And so rather than being content with what I have, I get afraid and I get nervous and I get, I get discontent because I think that I am going to need to supply for tomorrow to meet my needs. And so I store it up. I save it up. And I think, you know what would make me content is if I could not be afraid of my needs not being met tomorrow land. And the way that I'll not be afraid is if my storage gets really, really big and what I forget is something really, really brilliant that Jesus said. Let me show it to you. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven where where thieves do not break in and steal, moths do not destroy. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, we're gonna gonna talk about those lines, but what I forget when I think that I can store up enough to supply for all my needs, what I forget is that storage is not all that it's cracked up to be. Stuff happens, recessions happen, and pandemics happen, and economic downturns happen, and Ponzi schemes happen, and scams happen, and stealing happens. And you might hear that and you say, well, that's all the reason for me to store up even more. And, and, And I'm not suggesting you shouldn't have savings and invest for the future. This is not about that. That's that's smart. That's good. But here's the danger. The danger is when you think that you supply all that you need. When you think it is on you to supply all that you need, oh, well, that's when what you have is never enough to feel secure. But if it is on God, as Paul said a minute ago, if everything is God's anyway, that underlying principle, then he has plenty to supply my needs for tomorrow. Now, let's go back to this thing about, about thieves breaking in and stealing and wants and rust destroying. Have you ever been stolen from I remember the first time that I was stolen from, like really stolen. I was living in Pasadena uh, in my apartment complex while I was in grad school and uh, my car was parked in the parking lot behind our apartment. Uh, My old apartment was not very nice, but at least there were gates to the parking lot and it made me feel a little bit secure. And one day I walked out to my car and I went to unlock the driver's side door and a giant hole had been smashed in my window. Glass all over the front seat, glass on the the ground. Uh, Fortunately for me, I had one of these on my car. Do you remember? Do you remember these? The club? Uh, do they still make these? Do people still, people still use these? Okay, so my car was not stolen, but what was stolen was my disc man. <laughs> the disc man to play compact discs in as I drove because I didn't have a CD player in my car. I had a cassette player in my car, so I had a cassette adapter. Do you remember the cassette adapter? And they stole my cassette adapter, too. And I felt so violated, how dare you? I mean, look, you think you've had it bad. I went without CDs in my car for like a whole year, you guys. And over that time, I saved up. I saved up and I bought a new car stereo with, remember these right here? We got a picture. There it is, the removable face plate. So that if a thief looked in your car, they couldn't really see whether you had a good radio or not because it was just a blank panel panel on your front of your car. You took the front of the stereo with you. Great solution, except can we all these years later acknowledge a problem? You got to carry around the front of your car stereo with you (laughs) in some sort of plastic container all day. Who really wants to do all this just to protect what they have? And I swear to you, Jesus was thinking of stolen car stereos when he said, do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where thieves break in and steal. And we thought that we would outsmart Jesus with detachable face plates. No thief is going to break in and steal anything from my car because there is no radio. Thief, pay no attention to the blank spot on my console. And of course, it did little good, but give us something to have to carry around all day. All right, let me give you another why stripped right from these verses. Why should we be content with what we have? Because what you cannot detach and carry around in a plastic container all day might be gone tomorrow. Now, Jesus probably said it better than me, but... For those of you alive and driving in the 90s, you know what I'm talking about. Your CD player might not be there tomorrow. For those of you who've not had a car stereo stolen, let me simplify, because thieves break in and steal, moth and rust destroy. Okay, but let's get to some how. How is it then that I can be content with what I have? All right, Jesus hints at something here. Look at that last line. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What Jesus begins to say here is the way that you can be content with what you have is if your heart's contentment is not based on your things. How can I be content with what I have? If I put my heart, if I invest my heart in something eternal. Jesus suggests in this passage that you can choose to invest your heart in some worse things or some better things. Worse things are things that might not be here tomorrow, thieves, moth, rust. The better things are eternal. How can I be content with what I have? By looking at what God gives me, which remember is his to begin with, as something to be invested in eternity. We're, We're gonna talk about what it means to do that in a second. But first, let me give you another how. Another how to be content with what you have. How? Borrow less. You will be content with what you have when you don't see borrowing as an option to get more. Proverbs 22:7 7 says something we have probably all felt. The borrower is slave to the lender. Now, let's just talk about that, All right. More than a third of Americans say that they would be embarrassed to let other people know that they're not paying off their credit card debt in full every single month. More than 40% say that they believe they will be judged by their family and their friends because of their credit card debt. The surprising thing is that Americans' average credit card debt is $15,355. Okay, so if, if, if you've got some debt, you are in good company. Everybody's got some debt. Yes, almost all of us go into debt to get what we have because what we had was not enough. We gotta have more. So we borrow to get more. And this, this is what Proverbs says. When you do that, you restrict your freedom. What does that mean? Let me me tell you. 23% of the average person's take-home pay already committed to payment of existing debt. 23% of the average person's check, for some of you, it is way more. I would bet in California or in the Bay Area, it is way more. And that payment does not leave us free to do something else that God might have us do with our money for tomorrow. Now think about that. For five weeks, we've been dreaming about what tomorrow might hold for us, wanting to make movement toward those dreams, and some of us feel incredibly restricted Because our debt does not allow us the freedom to do anything other than what we are doing in life right now. You may have a dream to invest in other people. You may have a dream to invest in yourself a little bit. But you don't get to invest in others. You don't even really get to invest in you. Because a lot of your money goes to paying off what you have. Because what you had yesterday did not feel like enough as a pastor, I have this conversation more often than you would think with people who are talking to me about what's going on in their financial world. Let me just paraphrase what I hear all the time, okay? I'll paraphrase it this way. Because what I had yesterday didn't feel like enough, I borrowed so I could have more for today, and now I have less than I want to invest in my tomorrow. The borrower is slave to the lender. That's what that means. Here's another truth. The Federal Reserve released these statistics a few years ago. 56% of all divorces are a result of financial tension in the home. Now, financial tension is not usually somebody saying, we want more, I'm not happy with what we have, why don't we have more than what we have? Financial tension comes when you go into debt to get more than what you have, and you find yourself now having to pay for it the vast majority of us, to get more than what we have, the primary vehicle to do it is debt. We borrow. And the borrower is slave to the lender. You feel this. And so how? How do we get to a place where we learn to be content with what we have? Okay, here. We borrow less. We don't see borrowing as an option to fill our lives with more and more and more. And because of it, we live a life with less things, but more free. Which actually leads me to one more how. Why you can be content and how. Look at Matthew six. This is Jesus talking again. He says this, do we have it? There it is. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other or you will be dedicated to the one and despise the other but you cannot serve both God and money. All right. The reason to be happy with what you have is you're either gonna serve God or serve money. You're gonna pursue money. Your tomorrow is either gonna be about God, or it's gonna be about pursuing money. You can't have both. Okay, those are not my words. I'm the messenger. That's Jesus right there. There's a story that I I heard a pastor tell. He he said this, uh, I wrote this thing, he said, my 14-year-old son got a job this year. My son got his first official paycheck, and boy was he thrilled, and he came home, and he showed me his paycheck, and then he marched into the room where his mom was and said, you know, I've thought it over, and now that I'm making money, I'm not sure I can afford to tithe. And and the pastor wrote this, he has more money in his hands than he's ever had before, and what happens? What happened in him is what happens in all of us. All of a sudden we say, man, now that I have this money, I really need this money for something else. And he wrote, out of the mouth of a 14-year-old boy, true to his human nature, comes this whole question. Where do I put God? Is God first? Is he second? Is he fifth? Is he 23rd in my life? Where is God? So one more reason we should learn to be content with what we have is because the constant pursuit of more indicates that you are serving you. You might be serving you. Okay, last one, last how to be content with what we have. We find it in Malachi 3. A little bit of background on this one, all right? God had set up this system for his people, the Israelites, to tithe, which was to give 10% of their income or the produce that they were harvesting to him in the form of a sacrifice, And that 10% got used for different things, worship and and caring for people. The 10% went towards a lot. And so in Malachi, God sees this, that the people are not giving as they committed to. And he's upset about this. He actually says to them, you are robbing me. And they say, how are we robbing you? We're mere mortals. We can't rob God. And he says, you're robbing me in your tithes and offerings. And then he says this, take a look. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will will not be room enough to store it. God says, instead of keeping all that you have, thinking that you need more than what you have, God says, if you were to give 10% of that to me, because it's mine to begin with, I gave it to you, I would pour out so much blessing on you, there wouldn't be enough room to store it. Now, can I tell you, churches have historically taught this verse and they've said something that I don't believe is true, that the way to make money is for you to give God your money, that if you give a 1,000, God will give you $10,000 right back. And lots of well-meaning people have been fleeced because of the way that some have taught this verse in anticipation of some kind of Financial blessing for giving. Very rarely does anyone look at the next verse, verse, verse 11, until, look, look at this. Uh, it says, I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your field will not drop their food before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all nations will call you blessed for yours will be a delightful land. says the Lord Almighty. Right there, God gets specific, specific about a possible blessing that will come because the people tithe. And it is not, I will shower down money from heaven. It's I will keep pests from devouring your crops, and I will make sure your trees don't drop their fruit too early, and I'll give you a good reputation with other nations. In other words, I will bless you with making sure what you have is enough for you. And, and, and right here is a how that the Bible gives us again and again. How to be content with what you have. It is to give to God. Give him what was his to begin with. Um we, we give a tithe, that's what Andrea and I do in our family, at least 10%, and we do it for two reasons. One, because our tithe is how we invest in eternity. Uh, we are close to it, we, we see how what we give, God uses to help people know Jesus in eternity. But there's another reason that we do it, because when we bring a tithe, God pours out his blessing. And and I don't mean financial, although it could be, and I don't necessarily mean our health, although it could be. I mean, one way that I can be content with what I have is to give a good chunk of it back to God, knowing he will give me strength, what we talked about. And he will meet my needs. And somehow, he will bless me in ways that I cannot store up for myself anyway, whatever those might be. Every time uh, I write a check and send it into Crosswinds, and I do it just like you, Every time it is an exercise in being content with what I have and trusting that God, whatever he gives me, it will be plenty. It will be enough. Um, Peter Marshall was the, the chaplain to the U.S. Senate. This is back in the 1940s. And he told a story about a guy who came to him with a concern about tithing. Again, this is the 1940s. And and the man said, I have a problem. I've been tithing for some time. Uh, It wasn't too bad when I was making $20,000 a year. I could afford to give the $2,000. But you see, now I am making $500,000. And there is just no way I can afford to give away $50,000 a year. And Dr. Marshall reflected on this very wealthy guy's dilemma and really gave no advice. He simply said, yes sir, I see you do have a problem. Um, I think we ought to pray about it, is that all right? And, And the man agreed. And so Dr. Marshall bowed his head and he prayed with boldness and authority. Dear Lord, this man has a problem and I pray that you will help him. Lord, reduce his salary back to the place where he can afford to tithe. But isn't it interesting how the more we get, the more we make, the more square footage we spread out in, the more we want, the more we think we need, and the less content we are with what we have. God gave you what he gave you yesterday. He gives you what he gives you today. He is going to give you what he's going to give you tomorrow in Tomorrowland so that you can meet your needs and so you can invest in others. You can invest in somebody else's tomorrow. And the way that we do that around here is through giving our offering and our tithes. We use it to invest in others, in them knowing about Jesus, having life-changing experiences of of Jesus' grace, people of all ages, children and students and adults. and, And if you learned what grace is because of your coming here, guess what? You learned because someone invested in your tomorrow. We use it to hold events like the one tomorrow night where we try to bring peace and build bridges in a very divided world, and we use it to help people find God's purpose and live it for their tomorrow. And I I invite you to be a part of that, not just the recipient of someone else doing it, but for you to be an investor in that yourself so that when all of this is done and we are out of tomorrows, except for the great big tomorrow someday in heaven, we can all say, I was content with what I had And I used what I had to make a difference in somebody else's tomorrow. All right, will you stand with me? Let's pray together before we go. God, so many things to focus on today, Super Bowl Sunday. God, we are gonna watch a lot of commercials that try to sell us a lot of things. And that uh, lead us to realizing we could be more content if we just had that thing. And I am just reminded, God, that that we know we can be content with what we have because you have given us what we need and you'll give us what we need tomorrow and you supply all of our needs. God, I ask that you would show us how to do that, to put our our heart in a place where where, where we treasure something eternal. And as we do it, God, would you use our investments to make somebody's tomorrow the tomorrow you would have them have. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 Thanks for coming today. We'll see you next week.